This is the AAOS Advocacy Podcast, part of the Bone Beat Orthopedic Podcast channel. This series features important conversations on health policy issues, as well as advocacy efforts to advance access and quality to musculoskeletal health care. Be sure to tune in on the third Tuesday of every month for our regular program. I'm your host, Doug Lundy, chair of the AAOS Advocacy Council. Welcome, y'all, back to the Bone Beat Podcast. We are in the middle of a three-episode series on consolidation and the effects that is having on the orthopedic market. We just had our first one with Dr. Brian Miller, and we discussed consolidation in healthcare, specifically with Trends Impact and the Outlook going forward. So please make sure that you listen to that one. We have the absolute honor today, and I really want to give a big shout out to our Office of Government Relations for getting a hold of Mark Seidman, who is an assistant director in the Mergers 4 Division of the Federal Trade Commission. So if there's anybody we really need to talk to about the federal government's interest and their response to consolidation, it's Mr. Seidman, and this is really a tremendous honor and a great opportunity. Mark, thank you for joining the podcast, sir. Yeah, thank you, Dr. Lundy. Thanks for having me, and thanks to AAOS for inviting me. I also want to thank Dr. Brian Miller for connecting me with AAOS. Yeah, and I neglected to say that Brian was extremely helpful and helped us connect. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what your work is? I'm at the Federal Trade Commission in Washington. We have regional offices all over the country, but our headquarters is in Washington, D.C. Before I dive in, I should give the standard caveat that my comments today are my own. They do not necessarily reflect the views of the FTC or any individual commissioner. I'm the assistant director for the Mergers 4 Division at the FTC. I've been at the FTC now for roughly 17 years doing merger work in all sorts of industries. But in my current role in Mergers 4, we are responsible for the lion's share of reviewing and, if necessary, litigating hospital and other healthcare provider mergers. That's very interesting. How did you get involved in that? I was drawn first to antitrust generally as a field. It's a really fascinating field of law. It combines both, of course, legal analysis, but a lot of economic analysis. And it's a really fact-driven area of the law. What makes it really fun, especially in merger work, is our job as attorneys is to dive into an industry and really understand what makes it work. Understand what drives demand, what factors affect supply, and ultimately, of course, how a merger might affect those factors going forward, because we're looking for mergers that might substantially lessen competition. That's what the statute we enforce uh, really calls for. So when we look at the current trends and consolidation that are occurring across the country, what do you see as these drivers? What are the drivers that are causing the healthcare systems to consolidate? First, I'd say I don't think that consolidation in healthcare is a new phenomenon. There have been what folks have called merger waves for probably at least the last 30 or 40 years. And when I take a step back and look at it, I don't think of it as so much of a series of waves as really a constant trend. There does seem to be a recent uptick in consolidation. But if you look at the last few decades, there's been a lot of consolidation. I can't speak directly to the business motivations behind each merger. I'm not in the boardroom when they make these decisions. But in terms of what we hear at the FTC about the motivations are really that hospitals and other healthcare providers are looking to increase scale. They're looking to increase scope as a way that they believe will limit costs. We hear a lot about conducting population health management and combining areas of expertise. I also think that part of the driver of consolidation, especially when you're talking about mergers of direct competitors, neighboring hospitals, for example, 
is that those kind of mergers can improve their bargaining position with insurance companies. There's a robust body of economic literature that shows that consolidated healthcare providers can negotiate for higher prices. And there's also considerable evidence that this dynamic affects both for-profit institutions and importantly, nonprofit institutions. I think there's also a dynamic where consolidation can in some ways beget more consolidation. If you go back a few decades, there were a lot more independent hospitals. As those independent hospitals become surrounded by larger systems, I think there's a tendency and instinct to want to join one of those systems. And I get the sense that there's a lot of healthcare consultants out there that will advise those type of independent hospitals to say, look, you need to join a system at some point for the sake of your long-term survival. I think those are some of the business motivations. Of course, those aren't an excuse to violate the antitrust laws. And we look hard at those situations, especially when you have a big system acquiring an independent hospital. If there's competition there, if they're competing on price, if they're competing on quality, if they're competing on innovation for labor... Those are the kinds of things that can create antitrust concern and make a merger potentially illegal. I also think it's worth taking a step back to think about how healthcare providers think about competition. One of the sentiments that seems to underlie a lot of mergers in the healthcare industry, especially among nonprofits, is a sense that competition is harmful and wasteful, that hospitals have to spend a lot of energy investing in cutting-edge technology really stretching and straining to keep their ER wait times down, investing in their nurses, their physicians, other workers to prevent them from being poached by somebody else. That certainly makes the business of running a hospital difficult, but it's that competition that the antitrust laws are really looking to protect. That sentiment seems to be a very common one in healthcare, but it's really in direct conflict with the federal antitrust laws. Thank you for that. That's a very good description. Let me back up to my previous practice, which was only a few months ago, and I was co-president of one of the largest practices in America, in Atlanta, and it was very interesting to us to say, why don't we engage with the other big groups in Atlanta and form an even bigger mega group? It wasn't anything nefarious, but it was like it would reduce the amount of advertising that we have to do. There's a lot of other good doctors in those groups. We can get us all under the same shell and we could do a lot of cool stuff together. And it sounded all great to us, but of course, what role would the FTC play in determining if a merger like that or any other type of merger was appropriate? It's hard to opine about any specific merger without more facts, but I think there's a few things to think about there. Our job is really to focus on competition and looking at the different ways in which competition can play out and thinking about, is a merger lessening competition? There are certainly arguments about the beneficial effects of mergers too. We want to make sure that we're viewing that though through the lens of consumers, patients, insurance companies, because they're often the ones negotiating the rates, the employees of healthcare entities, so nurses, other workers. That's really the lens when we're thinking about the benefits of a merger if the benefit of the merger is we won't have to compete as hard against each other, we won't have to advertise as much, we won't have to innovate as much, that's a negative, not a positive. Yeah, that's interesting. And I really appreciate your response on that because that's the side that I was not looking at and I didn't really appreciate. So Mark, can you tell us a little bit more about the Federal Trade Commission? So first, by way of background, the FTC is a five-member commission. Each commissioner is nominated by the president, confirmed by the Senate, and we're a bipartisan agency, which means we typically have three commissioners from the party of the president and two commissioners from the other party. And it's the commissioners, not the career staff like me, who ultimately make determinations about what actions the FTC should take, whether we challenge mergers. It's the staff that conducts the investigations, 
that does the antitrust analysis and makes a recommendation to the commission. So along with the antitrust division at the Department of Justice, the FTC reviews mergers from all across the economy. But it's the FTC that's traditionally over the last 20, 25 years that's handled most of the healthcare provider mergers. The FTC reviews and investigates mergers to determine if they violate the Clayton Act. That's the primary statute that we enforce. And that act from 1914 makes mergers that substantially may lessen competition illegal. And I realize that substantially may lessen competition can be somewhat of a vague phrase. There's no shortage of ink spilled on what that means over the last 100 plus years. But that's the fundamental premise of what we're looking for and the statute that we're enforcing. So if after an investigation, the commission determines that it has a reason to believe that a merger might violate the Clayton Act, it will vote out a complaint. At that point, if the merging companies want to fight the complaint, that's when we'll go to court. Fundamentally, though, I think it's important to remember the FTC is a law enforcement agency, first and foremost. And so I think it's wrong to view us as making a determination about whether a merger is appropriate or even a good idea, a good business move. We're making a law enforcement determination about whether or not it violates the Clayton Act. Hospitals are free market actors. They can and should and do seek to attract patients and improve quality and lower their costs in all sorts of ways. We don't substitute our business judgment for theirs. Thank you very much for that, because I think a lot of our listeners have this vague idea of what the FTC is all about and what they do. And that's a very comprehensive and good explanation. Let's talk more about what the healthcare industry has done in response to all of this. So there was an executive order in July of 2021 that promoted competition. Did this change or accelerate the process for reviewing mergers? It didn't create any immediate on-the-ground change. The statutes that we enforced didn't change. The day-to-day didn't change for us. I will say it was good for us that the executive order specifically called out healthcare consolidation as a priority concern for antitrust enforcement. It's meaningful to us that the White House has highlighted the issue. And it's gratifying to know that the president stands behind our efforts. And I also think it's an important message to healthcare providers thinking about mergers that they now know that antitrust enforcement in healthcare is a government priority really up to the highest levels. I think it's also notable that the Trump administration had an executive order in October of 2017 that also mentioned healthcare provider consolidation. And I think that's significant. It illustrates that there's a really a bipartisan concern about these trends and the effects of healthcare consolidation. So what's your understanding of the actions that have been taken from the Congress in terms of legislation for increasing competition or perhaps even reducing consolidation? So the statutes that we enforce are old. They're over 100 years old. They've been amended a few times in the last 100 to 120 years, but not that recently. And so while there's a lot of discussion about antitrust and merger law in a lot of corners of the government, including in Congress, the statutes haven't changed that much. As a career law enforcement official, it's not really my role to suggest legislation. We enforce the laws as Congress writes them. I will say the most immediate effect on our work, however, is the staff that we have available. These investigations and litigations are incredibly intensive. The staff works incredibly hard. And Even considering our sister agency, the Antitrust Division at the Department of Justice, this is a relatively small group of attorneys and economists and support staff that's charged with policing merger activity and anti-competitive conduct across the entire economy, not just healthcare, but the entire economy. This is quite a burden when you consider the resources that merging companies devote to advocating for their mergers. They hire some of the largest law firms in the world, 
some of the most renowned economic consulting firms, and they routinely seek to bring political pressure too. And we're not just talking about the Fortune 500 companies and private equity firms. Nonprofit hospital systems are just as aggressive and often hire the same powerful law firms and powerful economic consultants. Man, it sounds like y'all are constantly busy and there's a lot that y'all have to do out there. So in your view, how has the healthcare industry responded to the increase in mergers? As I mentioned earlier, there does seem to be a phenomenon where consolidation can lead to more consolidation. Importantly, though, not all of the mergers that we're seeing are horizontal. That's direct competitors, which you would think of as the crosstown rivals merging with each other. We've seen certainly a lot of that, but also there's a number of what we call vertical transactions. A vertical transaction is one where you're combining assets at two levels of a supply chain. So in healthcare, that could be a healthcare provider merging with an insurer or a hospital acquiring a physician group. And although it's been traditionally those horizontal mergers, the direct competitor type of mergers that give the most concern, these types of vertical mergers can also be illegal. And especially if the merger partner is an important input into some rival's product. For example, if you imagine an area where there's one monopoly primary care physician group, then they work with all the hospitals in the area and all the insurers in the area. But one insurer buys that primary care physician group, it could create a concern that are they going to cut off the other insurers from that group? And would that ultimately lessen competition either for insurance or for other aspects of the healthcare system? So I think there's a lot of legal and economic thinking around these type of vertical mergers. And there's a tremendous amount of work being done. I would call that area very much of a watch this space situation. Very good. You said there's been a recent FTC focus on these mergers. Do you think this has slowed or changed some of the behavior that we're doing out in the healthcare industry in terms of these activities? It's hard to quantify the effect of our merger enforcement program, but I am confident, I have to think that there's been some significant deterrent effect. I think a longer lens is maybe helpful here. If you go back to the 1990s, the FTC and the Department of Justice challenged several large hospital mergers, and we continually lost. And largely for a period of time, got out of the business of hospital merger enforcement. FTC chairman at the time, Tim Muris, started a hospital merger retrospective study that studied the effects of these hospital mergers that, from an antitrust perspective, probably should have been blocked. And these were natural experiments that really paid a lot of dividends for economic learning and showed that hospital mergers can lead to increased prices. That was a really important jumping off point for the resurgence of the hospital merger enforcement program. And starting in the middle 2000s, the FTC has been much more aggressive about hospital mergers. And especially following the commission's decision in the Prometica St. Luke's case, this was a merger in Toledo, Ohio. We haven't won every case, but we've been much more successful, certainly than we were in the 1990s. So overall, I think it's hard to say what merger activity would have taken place, but for our efforts, but I am certainly comfortable saying that the types of mergers we're seeing now are significantly more complex than the types of mergers we were seeing 10 or 12 years ago. If you go back to the middle 2000s, around 2010, a lot of the mergers that we were looking at were straightforward in a lot of ways. They were direct hospital competitors to each other in a relatively clearly defined area. Now we're seeing much more complex deals involving bigger systems, involving a lot of different levels of the supply chain. 
one maybe misconception or even mistake that I think hospital executives may make in looking at our enforcement program is to simply look at the types of mergers we blocked in the past and say, if my merger doesn't look like those mergers, it must be okay. And it probably won't get blocked. That really would misunderstand how we look at mergers. It's a very fact-intensive process. And fundamentally, as I mentioned before, we're looking for mergers that are between hospitals that are competing either to be in the same insurance network, that are competing for patients, are innovating in some way against each other, or they're competing for workers, or they're competing in other ways. And any one of those angles of competition can really be the basis for ultimately finding a merger to be illegal. So, and as you said earlier, there was the focus on the vertical mergers. There's also recently some of the physician supergroups have gained attention from y'all in the FTC. Are y'all planning to pivot attention to the role that these groups play in the overall trend toward consolidation? So I think the easy answer is yes. We look at any merger that walks in the door, right? I think it's hard in merger work to think proactively about we're going to stop this kind of merger or that kind of merger. We have to react to what comes in. And as I said, it's a very fact-intensive process. We have challenged several physician mergers over the last decade. Probably the two most high-profile ones were the St. Luke Saltzer merger in Idaho and the Sanford-Mid-Dakota merger in North Dakota. Those two went to litigation. We also had a significant settlement in the United DeVita Medical Group a few years ago. These examples, though, are really still focused on physicians that are in the same city, that are directly competing against each other. I think your question about the physician megagroups may go more to this idea that there are groups that are forming by combining different physicians from maybe contiguous areas, but not serving the same patient population. And that's certainly something that we're thinking about. These types of transactions can raise concerns too, but it's a little bit different. I know economists are continuing to study what they call cross-market mergers. So mergers of whether it's hospitals or physicians or other healthcare entities in contiguous or adjacent markets, but maybe not exactly the same market. And there is certainly some economic evidence that that can lead to increased prices. So there's certainly some evidence that there's something going on there. So I would call this like vertical mergers, very much of a watch this space situation. Very good. I do want to call one thing out real quick that uh, I'm the chair of the Department of Orthopedic Surgery at St. Luke's University Health Network in Eastern Pennsylvania. And that is for our listeners in no way connected to the organizations that you had discussed earlier. I have no conflict with that. So what's the outlook in the future of healthcare industry in terms of competition and choice? That's an awfully big question, probably impossible to answer, but I'll give it a try. There you go. <laughs> so look, I think coming back to the role of the FTC, promoting competition, promoting consumer choice, those are really the core of the commission's competition mission. Healthcare competition has long been a priority for the commission. We've also worked really closely with state attorneys general. Healthcare consolidation is clearly a priority for state-level enforcers too. These are highly local transactions, especially when you're talking about a big hospital merger. And there's a lot more going on than just antitrust. There's state regulations that really affect how consolidation plays out and the effect of consolidation. I'm thinking about certificates of public advantage there, which are sometimes a way for hospitals to get around the antitrust laws. There's also certificate of need programs that in some states can put a state in a position of determining who can expand, who can enter into a market. And there certainly are other aspects of federal law that can impact consolidation. My purview as an antitrust enforcer is narrower than that. I focus purely on the antitrust parts, but I'm not blind to the fact that there are a number of other areas of the federal government and state government that impose regulations on healthcare entities. But I am hopeful that hospitals and healthcare consultants will begin to get the message that the way to improve their business and their quality of care is to innovate and expand the breadth of their service and not to buy up the competition. 
So when we look at the FTC, y'all are not the bugaboo up in D.C. that's just there trying to throw a wet blanket on all of our party plans and wreck everything we're doing. Your job is to enforce the law through the Clayton Act. And you're just basically following the law, which is already laid out there. And part of the intent of the law is to allow a competitive environment for the betterment of healthcare overall. Am I saying this right? Yeah, I think that's a good way of viewing it. As I mentioned before, we try very hard not to try to substitute our business judgment for the business judgment of really any merging party, and that includes healthcare entities. That's not really our job. The way I see it is there are lots of ways for companies to innovate, provide better service, better products, improve the quality of their care if they're healthcare entities or improve the quality of their product if they're some other entity and lower their costs. Those are all laudable business goals. And I think maybe an apt analogy is thinking about it as a, we're almost like a football referee. You can come up with all sorts of innovative plays on the field, but we're looking for when you step on the white line and go out of bounds. So if I can extrapolate that a little further, the thought is that if you take consolidation to an extreme degree to where consolidation just occurred everywhere, that overall would reduce competition, which would probably increase cost and reduce quality across the matrix, which at the end of the game is bad for patients. Am I saying that correct? I think you are. And I think what you're capturing there is really the policy that Congress was pursuing with the Clayton Act, with the antitrust laws generally. And Although those laws are quite old, as I said, most of the antitrust laws, whether it's the Clayton Act, the FTC Act, the Sherman Act, these laws are over 100 years old, but the policy underlying them has consistently been the policy that the Congress has advocated and that the FTC and the Department of Justice and state attorneys general have pursued, that it is fundamentally competition in a free market economy that yields higher quality, better service, lower prices, all of those things that ultimately benefit consumers and other entities like workers who are part of constituents of potential merging parties. Yeah. And you know, from the ultimate highest perspective, if you look across the healthcare policy continuum that we do, it gets confusing because there are certain things that come out of Congress that seem like they're trying to promote consolidation for the betterment of efficiency of healthcare and terms of quality. And then on the other hand, saying, no, this is not good. You should increase more competition and decrease consolidation. So to some degree, for us, it's a little confusing. But at the end of the day, you guys are just doing what you were told to do and enforcing the laws that are in front of you. I agree completely with that. As I mentioned earlier, there are certainly a lot of other regulations at play, a lot of other statutes at play that healthcare entities have to deal with. We're not blind to that. But none of those have repealed the antitrust laws or suggested in any way that the antitrust laws shouldn't apply in healthcare. And we've enforced the law vigorously in this space. So Mark, you've talked to us about the influence of competition with healthcare providers, provider groups, physician groups, and hospitals in terms of trying to engage with the insurance industry and the payer community. Is that your sole focus or do y'all look at other things in terms of the space? That's a great question. If you look at a lot of the past complaints of healthcare cases that the FTC has litigated, there's a technical focus on the effect of competition as it relates to commercial insurers and commercially insured patients. But I don't want that to be misinterpreted as a narrow focus just on commercially insured patients or commercial insurers. In my view, the competition we see in that area is really the canary in the coal mine. When you see strong competition between two hospitals, for example, to be part of an insurance network, it's likely a signal, and we often find evidence that it is a signal, that 
they're competing on lots in lots of different ways, not just on price for commercial insurance, but to innovate, to improve the quality of care, to reduce their ER wait times. That's competition that helps all patients, whether they're commercially insured, whether they're a government pay patient, whether they're uninsured. And it's really that competition that we're looking to protect. And when you're talking about healthcare companies that are competing for commercial insurance, they're also competing for all of those other patients too. And so even though a lot of the litigation can focus on the bargaining dynamic between hospitals and insurers, there's competition there that affects all types of patients. And we care deeply about the competition that affects all of those patients as well. All right. I want to thank our guest today, Mr. Mark Seidman, who is an attorney and the assistant director at the Mergers 4 Division of the Federal Trade Commission. This has been a fantastic interview. Thank you so much for joining us today, sir. And thank you, Dr. Lundy, for having me. It's been a pleasure. It's been a lot of fun to talk about competition in healthcare with you. I got to admit, y'all, this has been a very eye-opening interview for me because as co-president of one of the largest practices in America, I often viewed the FTC as just the guys who are getting in the way of all my great and glorious plans. But after talking with Mark here, I think the important thing we need to take away from this is he and his colleagues are just enforcing the law that Congress passed. And the purpose of those laws were to protect patients and improve health care. So while we may not completely agree with everything in those laws and everything that's come out there, the overall intent was to help patients and to make things better for Americans. And Mr. Seidman and his colleagues are doing their best to enforce the laws that were placed in front of them. If you'd like to learn more about this, please also listen into episode 15, where we talked about the repeal of the McCarran-Ferguson Act, specifically that repealed the antitrust exemption for insurers. And make sure you turn in for our final part of this consolidation series, number three, at the next episode, where we wrap up this bit about consolidation. And thanks again for listening in to the Bone Beat Podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of the AAOS Advocacy Podcast, part of the Bonebeat Orthopedic Podcast channel with production and sound design by Mission-Based Media. For more information on this topic and other AAOS efforts to shape the future of musculoskeletal healthcare, please visit aaos.org forward slash the Bonebeat advocacy.